Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerberg. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Run the race. So last week we quickly looked at one race that will be recorded and um, it was really important and to understand that we looked at this from the beginning of time. God's will has been for man's salvation, to, to experience salvation, to experience union and unity with God. And then we looked at the race that we've been qualified for and making that a reality. And then ultimately asking the difficult question, are you running this race? Because no other will be recorded. There's one race that will be recorded and it's the race of impacting people's eternities. And so asking that difficult question, what race are you running? And with regards to our finances, it's applicable. Are you running a race that is showing, even with your finances, with your resources, that you are investing into that race? Because again, laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven is only applicable to one thing. There's no investment in this earth that will last for all of eternity, apart from people, investing into people, men's salvations. So this morning, we're looking at, uh, at the topic of who are your role models? That's the title of the message this morning. Who are your role models? What's the definition of a role model? A role model is someone others look to as a good example. And a role model is someone who is worthy of imitation. Right? So uh, throughout life, we have either consciously or subconsciously got role models. Whether you know them by name right now, whether you can think of them right now, they are people that we are, Im- are imitating. Whether it's our parents, whether it's our favorite uh, rugby player, whether it is our favorite whatever, you fill in the blank. By default, we were created to follow. We were created to follow. So in this life, you are following something or you are following someone. There's no middle ground. You are by default following something or someone. The blessing is you determine. You get to choose what or who you are following. Who's helping you shape your life. And again, in light of last week's message, running one race, one race that will be recorded, are the people we're looking up to running that one race? Are the people we admiring and following running that one race? What does looking up to mean? I want to just break down this this terminology or this concept, looking up to means to respect and to admire. Are the people you are respecting and admiring running that one race? Think about it just for a moment. The people you are respecting and admiring, are they running that one race? Oftentimes we show a lot more respect and admiration to all sorts of people and things that have got nothing to do with God's kingdom and eternity. Present company excluded. I know you guys are, are not, uh, you don't have those flaws. Sarcastic 18 there coming out. Um, if our role models, the people we're looking up to, aren't people who know us, then, our, uh, um, then the relationships and the effect God intends for such relationships to have on us won't be as significant and fruitful. So I'm just going to rephrase that again. Oftentimes we've got godly role models and people we're admiring but there's no relationship and there's something wrong with that I'm not saying it's completely wrong 
But if that's the only admiration, honor, respect, and looking up to that you have someone that doesn't know your name, you're missing out on something. Because we were created for relationships. For iron to sharp iron. Proverbs 27, 17. So how does iron sharp iron? Think about it practically quickly. Let's kind of uh, get very basic. Can a piece of iron in South Africa shape a piece of iron in America? Eh? In, so, in some way, but if you just look at the practical example of physical iron, not spiritual iron, physical iron. A physical piece of iron in South Africa cannot sharpen a physical piece of iron in America. Yes, there's a blessing that we can receive from people that we don't know, that we've never met, that we will never meet or meet. But there's a blessing that God has for us in experiencing this that we're experiencing now this morning. People sitting next to you, people that you'll get to shake a hand off after the meeting, people that you get to pray with. The person that you don't know, who doesn't know your name, didn't get to pray for you this morning when we had time of ministry, right? Your favorite, your favorite uh, uh, online teacher didn't pray for you this morning. One of your brothers and sisters in Christ sitting in this room prayed for you this morning. Showed care for you this morning. When you're going through a difficult time or when you have a baby or whatever, Ben and Sudika, for example, if you don't know, um, they had their, uh, their, their, their baby girl this past week, they're doing well. They, for example, are going to benefit from this community over the next few weeks by us providing meals for them so that they don't have to worry about cooking. Your favorite Bible teacher is not going to bring you a meal when you had a baby. I'm laboring this point because we need to ask ourselves the question, who are the people I'm admiring, looking up to, respecting, that is running this race alongside me and with me? 1 Corinthians 11.1 1. So we're going to look at some, uh, some, some scriptures in light of this, this topic of who are your role models. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1 says, And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. So, so Paul is writing to the church of Corinth here. And the Passion Translation says, I want you to pattern your lives after me just as I pattern mine after Christ. And then the King James says, Be you followers of me even as I also am of Christ. Again, who are we imitating Patterning our lives after who are we following? Paul is addressing a church community here, which means that there was relationship. And I know in some uh, contexts and uh, um, situations, Paul was writing letters, but he didn't necessarily spend as much physical time with those people. But most of the time, when he was writing letters, there was relationship behind those letters. We see him having a heartache, longing to see the believers. There's a, there's a strong sense of community, of relationships. And so it stresses this point again of the people we're following, the people we're imitating and patterning our lives around, the people that we are, uh, um, you know, like I said, patterning, imitating and being followers of. There's an invitation for relationship that goes beyond just spiritual input. First, first Corinthians chapter 4 verse 14 says, I'm not writing this to embarrass you or to shame you, but to correct you as the children I love. 
And so uh, the church of Corinth, if you go and read the, the two letters that Paul wrote to the church, um, there's a lot of, a lot of um, interesting things happening within those communities. A lot of uh, mess. In chapter 6 specifically, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and it's amazing how the emphasis always, religion would say, go and fix your problems. Where grace says, look to Jesus. Religion will always focus on your works and fixing that. Where grace and the message of the Bible always points you to Jesus. Relationship with Him. Because again, if God has your heart, He has your life. That's why God told to uh, uh, Samuel when He wanted to anoint David. Man looks at the outward appearance. Samuel is looking at all of the brothers, the biggest, the strongest. God said, no. Big David, 16-year-old boy, out in the field. Probably not a lot of muscles on him, but God's not concerned about that. He's after our hearts. I'm writing this not to embarrass or shame you. So if, so if Paul is saying, I'm writing this not to embarrass or shame you, do you think that there could have been a feeling of embarrassment and shame? Yes. Like we need to understand like, we often just read over things and don't consider why it was written or why it was communicated like this. I'm writing these things not to embarrass or shame you, so meaning that whatever I'm writing, you could feel a sense of embarrassment or shame. Even with the message and the invitation I shared on finances this morning, you could be embarrassed or shamed this morning. You could feel condemned this morning. But because we have relationship, hopefully, I don't know all of you, but hopefully there's some sense of trust and knowing this ministry by now, that you, or by now that you know that the invitation is not putting a heavy on you. It's lifting you into more of what God asks for you. It's spurring you into more. But to correct you as children I love. The King James says, I write not these things to shame you, but as my, my beloved sons I warn you. And then I just want to look at the message translation, 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 16. It says, I'm not writing all this as a neighborhood scold to shame you. I'm writing as a father to you, my children. I love you and want you to grow up well, not spoiled. If you look at parenting, and oftentimes if you, if you find a spoiled child, that child wasn't just born being spoiled. They were trained to be spoiled. Anyone here recently see a spoiled child? Hopefully you're not thinking of Chris and Michael. Um, those are my two sons if you didn't know. A spoiled child is not just born spoiled. Yes, by default they're self-centered, but that, that characteristics of being spoiled, being a brat, etc., the, 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 the words that come to mind, it's not something that just happened to them. They were shaped into being like that. Mostly by their parents. So that's why Paul is using this referencing. I'm writing to you as my children. I love you and want you to grow up well, not spoiled. Which means that there's going to be challenge. There's going to be, no, we're not going to do it like this. Because we're children of God. We're not going to be self-centered because that's not the nature and the character of our Father. We're not going to cling to the things of the world because Jesus didn't lead us 
into that example. And so no doesn't always feel nice. Right? When you want to do something and you get a no, whether it's from your spouse or whether it's uh, from your pastor or whether it's from God, it's not always fun to get a no. We're not going to do this right now. But if we understand the relationship and we understand that it's coming from love, as Paul says here, I'm writing to you because I love you and want you to grow up well, not spoiled. There are a lot of people around you who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong, but there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. It was as Jesus helped me proclaim God's message to you that I became your father. I'm not, you know, asking you to do anything I'm not already doing myself. That's such an awesome closing statement in these verses. The things that Paul is asking us to do, it's not things that, he, that was beyond him. A saying that I love, I don't know who coined the saying, it's, it's Bible, just rephrased. If leadership is beyond you then, or if serving is beyond you, leadership, if serving is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. Why? Because Jesus himself, God, said, I did not come to be served but to serve, to lay down my life, sacrifice. And we were created in that image. We were created to walk in that likeness, to lay down our lives, to serve, not seeking to be served and to be put on a pedestal. But he says here, but there are many fathers willing, there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. And so, what this is also boiling down to, I emphasize this, this picture of there's so many online teachings available out there. Like we're living in an information age. So much knowledge, so much. It's crazy if you think about how it was 100 years ago, even just 50 years ago, 30 years ago. And so we think that those things are providing us what God intended for us. And again, Please listen to online teachings, have your uh, podcasts and things like that. But don't allow that to replace this. Because again, your favorite Bible teacher, let's look at another practical component. Just bear with me, I'm using an example. Marriage. Liam and uh, Megan got married a few weeks ago, Megan's not the lady sitting next to him. That's Devon's wife, Nadine. Um, so Liam, Liam and Megan got married um, a few a few weeks ago, and maybe at some point in time, uh, Liam had a a favorite Bible teacher that he's never met before. Um, if I'd ask you just to name one guy who you've never met before, who you've listened to before, and they really bless you, you'd probably be able to name at least one person. Now that one person wasn't going to come and do the ceremony for them and do all of the officiation for them, for their marriage. Why? Because they don't have the time, they don't have the relationship, but we have the relationship. I made the time and it was a blessing for me to conduct their ceremony and to officiate their marriage. There's many teachers out there, but there's not many fathers. You determine to what degree I'm going to father you. Don't think about it as age, please. 
God is beyond age. Don't limit God and what He wants to do through another person because you're looking at the gray hair on the head or the lack thereof. That's being carnal. The invitation from God is not to be carnal, but to be spiritual because you created spirit. Now live as it. And so there's an invitation that Paul is writing about. There's many teachers, there's many people who want to direct your life, but not many people who want to take you by the hand, go through the effort to help you mature in the things that God asks for you. Verse 16 from the New Revised Version says, I appeal to you then, be imitators of me. So again, it's difficult to imitate someone if you're not doing life with them. Because ultimately, when you do life with someone, you're going to actually see more authenticity. What do I mean by that? If you have not yet seen me frustrated, you will soon. If not with you, then with my children. (laughs) And so there's an authenticity that God wants you to see in relationships that you will never see with your favorite online Bible teacher. And there's an invitation for us to experience that, man, this, 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 this man of God, this woman of God, uh, this pastor, they're as normal as I am. And so we often in the, the body of Christ have this man of God complex where it's like, man, they're awesome, they're amazing. Like, I'm going to put money in the bucket and they're going to save the world. There's a lack of partnership. Understanding that the same spirit that is in Etienne, that is in Shane, that is in your favorite Bible teacher, is living on the inside of you. There's maybe a different manifestation, and the spirit upon them that you're seeing and experiencing that is not yet upon you, but it is within you. The same spirit that is within me that is in each one of us here this morning. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, how short you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how good a person you are, how bad a person you are. You've got the same spirit of God living and residing on the inside of you. Desiring to come upon you. What does that mean? Manifest. Bear the fruit. Look the part. Amen? Coming to a close, and I want to just look at, just again, um, so we're asking this question of who are your role models, and there's an individual aspect to it, but then there's also a corporate group aspect to it. And First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 to 13, says this, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even also as you do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. So again, the invitation I gave you to admonish and to show appreciation and to show value to your pastors, me being one of them and all of the other campus pastors at, at Grace Life, there's an invitation from the Word of God to admonish those and to, to, to esteem them highly in love for their work's sake. So again, what I'm inviting you into is not not biblical. It's biblical. It's for your benefit. I believe it's in... um, My address is going to be wrong. I think it's in Thessalonians. um, 
as well, or one of the, the letters where, where the instruction is, might be in Hebrews, to, to make it easy for those who lead you to do so, to not make their work a burden, because it will not be for your benefit. Now, I benefit from you making my work easy for me. I benefit 100%. But it's amazing how the Bible puts emphasis first on it being a benefit for you. Please start believing the Bible. Please. I pray. I'm just being sarcastic there. Like, I'm actually asking you to make my work easy for me. But you are, most of you are doing a pretty good job at it. I'm joking. I'm not thinking of anyone specific now who's not doing a good job at it. Now you're wondering, like, am I? I love you guys. The Strong's definition of the word comfort here, we see the word comfort, edify, and admonish coming up here. And it says, comfort is to call near. Edify means to be a house builder, constructing, lifting. Admonishing means to put in mind to caution or to reprove gently or admonish or warn. So again, in Paul's writings and in church, we should be open to receive warning, correction, instruction from those who are leading us. If we're not open to it, we cannot mature. And guess what? We're going to be spoiled children. Who of you wants to be a spoiled child of God? Norman? Anna? <laughs> Philip? Guys, put them on your hit lists. We're going to pray for them. We're going to intercede. None of us, I don't think anyone has ever seen a spoiled child and thought like, man, I wish my child was like that. And if you don't have children, you wish like, man, one day if I have children, I wish they would be like that. It, it just, it's off-putting. Now the question is this. Why would you want to be a spoiled child of God if what you see in a spoiled child is so off-putting? That's a seller moment. Amen or me. First Thessalonians 5, 12-15 says, And now, friends, we ask you to honor these leaders who work so hard for you, who have been given the responsibility of urging and guiding you along in the obedience. Overwhelm them with appreciation and love. Get along among yourselves, each of you doing your part. Our counsel is that you warn the freeloaders to get a move on. Gently encourage the stragglers and reach out for the exhausted, pulling them to their feet. Be patient with each person, attentive to individual needs. And be careful that when you get on each other's nerves, you don't snap at each other. Look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. Now there's a whole lot in there that I'm not going to spend too much elaboration on. But it's clear that there's an invitation to do life together, to urge one another, to, to imitate one another, so that we can run this race that God has set before us. There's an urging. And if we're not open to these things, you can be in community without experiencing community. Please don't be like that. Because that's not God's design. It's not His desire. If you look at Paul's example of the body of Christ, it would be weird if I had my body here, and then my arm was severed from my body, 
kind of hanging there by the door and moving around and just waving at you guys. It would be weird. Detached from the body. We were called to be attached, to minister to one another, to work together, have the same purpose, have the same goal. Because that's the only way that we're going to be effective in running this race that God has set before us. Philippians chapter 3, last passage, verse 12 to 19. Again, the message translation. It's good to use various translations as you're reading and studying the Word. Um, and ultimately, if you go to King James, you'll always be safe. Uh, but even with the King James, it's, uh, sometimes it misses one or two things. So it's important to do Bible study and cross-reference Bibles and go to the, uh, if you've got a strong concordance, go there. Um, because you, you get so much more, your Bible study becomes so much richer rather than just sticking in one lane. So the message translation says from verse 12 to 19, I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I've made it. But I'm well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself as an expert in all of this. But I've, I've got my eye on the goal, where God is beckoning on us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running. I'm not turning my back. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want... Everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment to God, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. Stick with me. Friends, keep track of those you see running the same course, headed for the same goal. There are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals and trying to get you to go along with them. I've warned you of them many times. Sadly, I'm having to do it again. All they want is easy street. They hate Christ's cross, but easy street is a dead end street. Those who live there make their bellies their God. Belchers are their praise. All they can think of is their appetites. When I read the verse 19 from the Amplified, it says, They are dominated, or they are doomed, and their fate is eternal misery, perdition. Their God is their stomach, their appetites, their sensuality, and their glory and their shame, siding with earthly things and being of their party. Again, heavy words, challenging words, that Paul is writing to a church community not to shame them, not to condemn them, but to shed light. If there's no light shed, you'll continue walking in darkness. And if we embrace these truths from the point of view that we have been qualified, we have been enabled to run this race set before us, it's already so much easier. Right? Imagine having the bolt of, the bolt of Usain Bolt. Right? And someone coming to you and say, like, before he was like a world champion, like, I think it's a good idea if you start doing some practice, you've got the bold, you're showing some potential to become the, the world record holder in the 100 meter sprint. Like, it would be relatively easy for him to like believe that, right? He knows his capacities, his abilities, 
probably knew that he was pretty fast in his youth, had a race or two with his, uh, his neighborhood friends. Now, if I start to ask the biggest Christian in this room, Norman, hey, prepare for the 100 meter race, and you're gonna, you've got the potential to break uh, Usain Bolt's uh, record. Norman is gonna be like, man, Etienne, that's awesome, I'm gonna do this. And then it's like those people are competing in idols and they win the golden mic, or the wooden mic. Right? And then the judges ask him, like, so, like, who told you that you could sing? And like, oh, my parents told me this, everyone's telling me this, and it's amazing, and I've got a voice, like, uh, my mom says, like a, like a, like a canary, and, um, <laughs> man, <laughs> and then it's just like, Lord, like, why did they lie to them? And so, the point I'm trying to make is, you've got the ability, you've got the capacity, you set up. But now we need to look at people who's running ahead of us. We need to look at the instructions of the Bible, the invitation, the challenging truths, and be like, Lord, I thank you that I can. You've enabled me. We need to surround ourselves with people running this race. And when we look at them, we go, Lord, the life that they're living right now, I can too live that life. Because your spirit is living in this inside of me. We need to nudge one another. We need to provoke one another into love and good works. That word provoke is the word spur. Not the restaurant franchise, but the spur that is on the, the, the back of a boot of a cowboy. Nudging the horse. Spurring the horse on to run faster. It's not hurting the horse, but it's making the horse uncomfortable. Who of you felt uncomfortable this morning? To some of you. Wow. It's good if you feel uncomfortable because then it means I'm doing my job. If you're not even feeling uncomfortable at church when a Bible study, there's maybe something amiss. We want to nudge one another to run faster, to run with purpose, with intentionality. There's one race set before us all, and God has put the body of Christ together to do this together, to nudge one another, to have. People who've gone before us, that we're looking up to, that we're doing life with, that we're inviting into giving us instruction, correcting us when it's needed, pulling us back when we're wanting to run forward, ahead of the schedule, so to speak. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.ca. And if you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us, or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.ca.